You're listening to Bottom Shelf Bitcoin. This is episode 33. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bottom Shelf Bitcoin, the podcast that puts Bitcoin knowledge within everyone's reach. As always, I'm your host, Josh Humphrey, and my guest today is Jeff Vandrew. Jeff is an attorney and a CPA, and uh, he helps uh, particularly focus on the uh, the tax pain points regarding Bitcoin and, and things like that. So, uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. So before we get into all that, Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got where you're at and then uh, how you got into Bitcoin? Sure. Uh, So, you know, as you mentioned, I'm both an attorney and a CPA. I've been doing that for a while, over 10 years now. Um, My background in terms of how I got involved in Bitcoin is kind of interesting. Even though I'm an attorney and a CPA, before I started doing that, I was actually in the computer science program at Rutgers. Uh, So I do have some degree of a technical background. And I did that for a while uh, before I sort of made a career change and went in this direction. Uh, When I graduated law school, I knew that I never wanted to wear a suit or go to court or, you know, do anything like that. So I immediately kind of opened up my own practice. You know, during law school, I had worked for, you know, other tax professionals just to get some experience. But as soon as I graduated and I had that licensing squared away, that's when I went out on my own. And this was back in uh, 2007. So Bitcoin didn't exist yet. Um, and so obviously my practice was very tax focused, focusing on income tax, a lot of death tax planning, uh, things of that nature. There was no Bitcoin. Bitcoin did come onto my radar very early, uh, probably at first, maybe in like 2010 or 11. I didn't buy any at that time, but I was kind of interested in it because I was kind of a gold bug. So, you know, it, it was something that was at least appealing to me. It's like a natural evolution from gold to Bitcoin. Some time went on and I, you know, being a tax professional, I was like, wow, wouldn't it be, you know, the IRS issued its guidance eventually on how Bitcoin was taxed. And I decided, well, wouldn't it be cool to hold this within an IRA or a 401k or a Roth IRA? Then if this thing really skyrockets, you know, in value, you can remove all of those gains from the tax system altogether. So I kind of on my own, just for myself, devised a plan where I could hold Bitcoin uh, in a retirement account like that. And this was back in 2014. And at the time, since I started doing this for myself, I kind of figured like, well, why don't I just start, you know, offering this as a service to other clients? And like back then, no one cared about it. You know, I published like an article back then. I mean, I published an article on Coindesk about it, uh, (laughs) you know, because they were just looking for submissions back then. Uh, and Bitcoin Magazine and a few other places and a few people were interested. Um, back then, some people thought that I was like an, a secret federal agent trying to get them to pay taxes they didn't know. <laughs> it was a different world back then, right? It yeah. was a lot less mainstream. So that was in 2014. And then I just kind of, you know, I, I was something, it was a service I always offered to my clients, but it was, you know, never 
that really big of a deal. And then the run up came in 2017. And then all of a sudden everybody was interested in this. And I got a lot of that business because it was something that I already had in place. And what made it unique, what I was offering as compared to what most of the, what I was offering as a lawyer compared to what most of like these Bitcoin IRA marketing companies were offering is that I help people set up a structure where they hold their own keys. So like a lot of the providers that you see out there, they hold some or all of the keys and whenever you want to do, let's say a trade, you have to run it through them and there's fees involved and all that stuff. The way that I had set this up was in such a way that you hold the keys, you can buy and sell Bitcoin whenever you want without any real third party permission or anything like that. And you're kind of good to go. So 2017, that really took off and I kind of became known for that. Um, and that pretty much, you know, brings us to where, where we are today. The interesting part is, as this has become a bigger part of my practice, I've also gotten more into the technical side that I was involved in, you know, back in the late 90s, 20 years ago when I was at the Rutgers Computer Science Department, you know, as a student. Um, I recently actually started doing a little bit of development again. And just for the community, I released a uh, an open source plugin for BTC Pay server that basically syncs your QuickBooks to BTC Pay server. So that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing that. And the joke I always tell with regard to that is that I've been programming for 20 years. There was just a, an 18 year sabbatical in the middle there. So that's, that's yeah. my story. Cool. Yeah. I definitely want to get into, uh, into your QuickBooks plugin in a little bit, but um, let's talk more about your, your IRA stuff um, just for, so we're all on the same page kind of, what what is an IRA and like uh, what's the difference between a traditional and a Roth IRA? Sure, and just a you know a, a quick aside on that because I'm sure you have listeners from all over. The retirement account stuff we're going to be talking about is U.S. stuff. So yeah, sure. I guess I should have said that. Yeah, like yeah, we're, no this is going to be yeah. kind of U.S. specific stuff here. Uh, yeah. Global listeners, sorry, you just got to suffer through it today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So here in the States, I mean, there are uh, an IRA is the main type of personal tax advantage retirement account here in the States. Um, there are also employer sponsored retirement accounts. The main one of those is a 401k, although certain employers may offer a 457 or 403b instead. They're all more or less the same. But even if you have one of those employer-sponsored accounts, you can typically roll it over into an IRA. So an IRA as a retirement account, the tax advantages depend on whether it's a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. A traditional IRA, you get a tax deduction when you make a contribution to the IRA. All the growth from then on is tax-free. And then you just pay income tax on the amount that you withdraw when you start withdrawing money in retirement. You can do tax-free rollovers from a traditional employer account, like a traditional 401k into a traditional IRA. The other type of IRA is a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA works in reverse. A Roth IRA, you get no deduction for the contributions, but when the growth in, in between while you're still working is still tax-free, the advantage to the Roth is in addition to that growth being tax-free, when you make withdrawals after your retirement, those withdrawals are also tax-free. 
Now, I, I said before, you can do a tax-free rollover from a traditional 401k or other employer account to a traditional IRA. Likewise, if you have a Roth 401k with your employer, you can do a rollover from your Roth 401k into a Roth IRA. And those are both tax-free rollovers, you know, depending on uh, which way you go there. Very cool. So what would be the advantage or, or of having your Bitcoin in this type of an account? So the advantage would be that you don't pay any capital gains tax on the gains on your Bitcoin. So in this here in the States, the way Bitcoin works tax wise is when you buy Bitcoin, let's say, let's say that you buy it, right? There's other ways to obtain Bitcoin, but just for ease of sure, discussion, sure. we'll talk about buying it. So you buy Bit you buy one Bitcoin on an exchange for $3,000. Then in the future, at some date, let's say that I either sell it for $10,000 or maybe I don't sell it, sell it at all, but I spend it. Let's say I exchange it for a $10,000 car. Either way, that's still treated as a sale for tax purposes. And I'm considered to have a capital gain of $7,000. That $7,000 is the difference between the amount that I sold it for. Again, doesn't matter whether I sold it for dollars or I sold it for a car or I sold it for some other good. It's the difference between that sales price and then the purchase price, which is considered my tax basis. Um, the advantage to holding within the IRA is all of those gains escape taxation. None of that stuff matters. You don't even have to track your tax basis because it just doesn't matter at all. The only time you pay, if it's a Roth, you never pay tax at all. So in, a, in that example that I just gave, if you had bought that Bitcoin for $3,000 and in the future sold it for 10,000, that $7,000 in capital gains would never be taxed ever. Likewise, if Bitcoin went up to a million dollars in Bitcoin, all that gain would just be out of the tax system for good. With the traditional IRA, you would uh, have to pay income tax when you pulled it out of the IRA. Um, so there's a little bit less of a tax benefit there. Usually when we do the traditional instead of the Roth, it's because someone has a bunch of funds in an old 401k and they want to use it to buy Bitcoin. And the only way, if you have funds in a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA already, the only way you can turn around and use those funds to buy Bitcoin without having to pay a bunch of interest and penalty up front is to roll it over into a self-directed IRA structure like the one that I set up for people. And that's totally tax-free, avoids all the interest and penalty, and then you can turn around and use that, those funds to start buying Bitcoin. Very cool. So like if, uh, say somebody, I don't know, worked at a job for a few years, had this 401k, and then they changed jobs or you know, like what the current situation is, I guess, price-wise, where it's like the markets are starting to come down, but they're a, a believer in Bitcoin. Hey, Bitcoin is really cheap right now. They might be able to roll over that small 401k they had with that old company into this and and be able to, to buy Bitcoin. For right. And they'd have two options there. They could do a tax-free rollover into a traditional IRA and use that. Or if they were really bullish long-term, they could actually do a, a, a traditional to Roth conversion. That's not tax free. You, you have to pay income tax up front on that. You don't have to pay any penalty. Um, but if you do the traditional to Roth conversion, the benefit is when you pull it out, 
someday in the future, it's tax-free. Gotcha. Very cool. Now, could you do, well, I guess if it's self-directed at that point, is, I was going to ask if you like full versus partial into Bitcoin, but I guess at that point, it's just kind of up to you, whatever you want to do with it. Yeah, you can do it partial. Partial rollovers are fine, as much or as little as you want. If you feel at some point in the future that you own too much Bitcoin and you and you want to own less, you can always sell. You could sell some Bitcoin and move a portion of those IRA assets into some other more traditional asset. That would again all be tax free. Um, you know, that wouldn't create any taxes at all. Whereas actually, if you held the Bitcoin outside of the IRA when you were rebalancing your portfolio that way, you'd have capital gains income. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, you, you mentioned earlier that you have the private keys. Can you, yeah, talk a little bit about the, like the security model or, or whatever on that. Sure. So, uh, it's really more of a legal issue. So legally the way the internal revenue code works in the United States is every IRA has to have a third party custodian that is licensed. That is, well, one of two things, the third party custodian either has to be a bank or has to be an entity that is specifically licensed by the IRS as a non-bank custodian, right? So banks are out. Banks aren't going to obviously deal with Bitcoin. So the way most of the, you know, products that Bitcoin IRA products that you see out there work is that like a third, a third party goes out and gets the IRS licensing as a non-bank custodian. And then they hold your keys for you. You tell them when you want to execute trades, they charge a bunch of fees for that and you're not fully in control of your keys. The way we set up these things for you is we use a, a third party non-bank custodian too. We're legally required to. We kind of play a little trick so that you can hold the keys. When I say a trick, this is not at all legally borderline or shady or anything like that. It's just... Uh, somewhat creative. It's very common, nothing to worry about. But what we do is instead of having that third party custodian hold your Bitcoin, that third party custodian holds one asset. And that single asset is a limited liability company, which again is owned by your IRA, but we name you as the manager of that LLC. As manager, you have control over all of that LLC's assets. So let's say you roll dollars out of a 401k into this IRA. Those dollars go to the custodian first, but then the custodian just turns around and drops them into the LLC. The LLC, again, you're the manager. So once those funds hit the LLC, you have the ability to invest them in whatever you want. Now, the IRS does have certain things that you can't invest in. Prohibited transit, they're called the prohibited transactions rules. But those don't apply to Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't violate any of the prohibited transactions rules. So once the funds are in your LLC, you have the ability to then open up an, an account on an exchange in the name of that LLC. Or if you don't want to buy through an exchange, you could open a local Bitcoins account in the name of your LLC or whatever. And then at that point, uh, you can go ahead and buy Bitcoin. Uh, and once you bought Bitcoin on the exchange, you can withdraw it to a hardware wallet, a paper wallet, whatever you want. That hardware wallet or paper wallet is not considered to be owned by you. It's considered to be owned by the LLC, which is in turn owned by the IRA. So that's sort of, you know, in a nutshell, how it works. One of the big services we provide to clients, the biggest roadblock in that whole setup that I just explained is getting an exchange account, assuming that you're going to buy your Bitcoin on an exchange, 
is getting an exchange account open in the name of an LLC. Because in terms of buying your Bitcoin, you can buy on an exchange or you can buy from local Bitcoins or wherever, but you can't buy any Bitcoin from yourself or from uh, your family members. That is a prohibited transaction. You have to buy from an unrelated third party. So for most people, the cheapest and easiest way to do that is an exchange, right? Uh, if you're going to buy, let's say, on an exchange, you're going to have to open an exchange account that is not in your personal name, that's in the LLC's name. Anyone that, that's ever opened an exchange account knows that uh, the KYC for an account on an exchange is a pain. It's a lot more of a pain in when you're setting one up for an LLC. The good news is, like, I've done a million of these, so I can get people through the KYC process pretty quickly. I'm kind of a pro at it. Um, it's all a matter. Obviously, we absolutely never say anything deceitful on or in any way on a KYC application. But it is a matter of knowing the right way to phrase everything so that you don't unnecessarily send up any red flags with an exchange that otherwise wouldn't be up. So one of the services I provide when we set up the structure for a client is I give them assistance in getting through the KYC. And I also know which exchanges are you know, we'll get you through KYC faster than others. And that's just a matter of who has better customer service. Some exchanges have really good customer service on the KYC side. They work with you to, you know, fill in any gaps in documentation that they may need. Other exchanges just, you know, you just fall into a black hole and, it, and you might not hear from them for months or something like that. So that's a big part of the process as well. Okay. Um, anything else you wanted to go over with that stuff before we kind of move into the BTC pay stuff? Uh, just, you know, just a few, a couple other things, just common questions that I get uh, about this, just common questions and concerns. Sometimes people will ask, well, then I don't I have to report my Bitcoin holdings to the IRS every year if it's in an IRA? So the reporting that gets done to the IRS every year with an IRA is the value of the account on December 31st, not the individual assets. So what will happen is, that third party custodian that I mentioned every year, they send you a form and they say, Hey, on December 31st, what was your account worth? And then, you know, you, they're, they're going to ask for some information about potentially what was in there. But what, what gets, what gets reported on the IRS form is actually just the value on December 31st. And that complies with, uh, all the IRS regulations. Now, of course, if you buy your Bitcoin on an exchange rather than on, say, local Bitcoins or, or BISC or something like that, um, obviously those transactions are going to be attached to your identity. I mean, that's just the way the law works. But that's not a function of it being an IRA. That's just any account, you know, that you open on an exchange. That's just how they work, um, you know, here in the States. So that's one concern, you know, that I sometimes get. Uh, I guess that's, that's really about it. I think everything else we pretty much covered. Yeah. So it's, so then they just know how much your account is worth in us dollar terms, regardless of what that's made up of, whether that's stocks or Bitcoin or some mix of all the above. Right. That's the only thing that gets reported uh, on form 5495 to the IRS annually. And the custodian takes care of that reporting for you. Um, so that's the, you know, in terms of, that how that end of it goes. Obviously, like I said, if you've got an exchange account, whether it's in an IRA or a personal name or whatever, that's obviously all, you know, your. Well, yeah, it's KYC, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, is there any variance state to state or is this all the same across the board? Uh, so IRAs are federal, so there's no variance state to state on that. In terms of how we handle setting up the LLC, that can be different state to state only because some states impose all wacky fees on LLCs, but we have ways of getting around that. So normally when you form an LLC in your state, let's say you live in California, but you form an LLC in Nevada, right? Well, normally that doesn't get you out of any fees because you still have to register that Nevada LLC as a foreign LLC in California to do business in California. And then you're subject to all of California's crazy LLC fees anyway. By the way, I'm using California in this example because California imposes an $800 a year fee on LLC. Oh. Yeah. But the good news is um, in this situation, you can form an out-of-state LLC because your, your LLC is not holding tangible property or doing business in any state. Therefore, it's not required to register as a foreign entity. So often, like for people in California, what we end up doing is forming an LLC in Mississippi for them uh, because Mississippi has zero annual fees on LLCs. Now, in most contexts, if you were in California and you formed an LLC in Mississippi, it wouldn't help you because you'd still have to register that Mississippi LLC in California and pay that $800 a year fee. However, because the LLC in this case is not going to own any tangible assets in California or conduct any business in California, it doesn't need to register in California. Therefore, we can get away from those sort of wacky state level fees by forming an out-of-state LLC. So there's certain states where that's the case. New York has a crazy publication requirement for LLCs. So for New York residents, we typically also form an out-of-state LLC to sort of get away from that issue. Um, so yeah, that's the only state-to-state difference. And as you can see, there's a pretty easy workaround there. Yeah. What about like uh, in dealing with those exchanges, you know, you're talking about um, doing business in those states. What about the states that those exchanges are in? Does that affect it or not really? Well, the... The, the exchange is not your subcontractor. They're not doing business on your behalf. In fact, they're your counterparty, right? I mean, they're just someone that you're paying for a service. So that would not create, uh, you know, a nexus for doing business. The, the LLC is in fact not doing business at all. It's only holding passive investment assets and all of those investment assets are intangible. So the only, it's basically doing business in no states, uh, at all. It's so it's really only has obligations for filing in its state of formation in that situation. So long as you don't turn around and use that LLC to invest in tangible assets like real estate. So if you use that LLC to go buy real estate in a state that had one of those fees, then you would be subject to it. So if you used this IRA LLC to buy an investment property in Los Angeles, you'd then have to register in California and be subject to those fees. But as long as you're just holding intangible assets and Bitcoin is an intangible asset, uh, the LLC would have no nexus in California. Very cool. And standard disclaimer here, you know, I provide this all as, as an educational uh, reference to your listeners. So if you have any questions, always consult with a lawyer. Right. Sure. Yeah. We don't want to get anybody in, in trouble, <laughs> trouble here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, well, let's transition. Let's talk about this QuickBooks thing. Um, I mean... 
people who've been listening to this show know that I'm a big fan of BTC Pay Server, um, and it, uh, I, I missed all of this because you know there's no way you can be involved in every project. I was uh, hanging out and lurking in their Slack channel a lot for a while, and just life has been busy, so I, I totally missed this until I saw. Uh, you tweeted about this, but uh, go ahead and tell. Well, I guess maybe for people who aren't familiar with QuickBooks, um, just give us a basic explanation of what QuickBooks is and why integration matters. Sure. So QuickBooks has a near monopoly on small business bookkeeping. So there are other entities that are players for like medium and large businesses. But I mean, QuickBooks is increasingly even moving into medium sized businesses. Um, it's it's like a Goliath, right? I guess this is the best way to put it. Um, essentially, everybody uses it because I have a background in tax. I use it all the time. You know, my business clients all use it. Uh, the only competitor they really even have at that at this point now is a company called Zero, uh, which is an Australian company, and I believe it's very popular in Australia, but I, and not not so popular here in the states. So, for better or worse. You know, QuickBooks is sort of this behemoth. It's actually owned by uh, Intuit, the same company that owns TurboTax. Uh, so QuickBooks is this giant behemoth. What they've been what they've been doing in recent years is moving away from your locally installed desktop QuickBooks software and moving towards their cloud product called QuickBooks Online. For good reason, QuickBooks every, QuickBooks Online is way easier because you can just create an, a login for your accountant. So if you have problems, your accountant just sitting at his own computer at home anytime he wants can log into your QuickBooks, make adjustments, check out what's going on there without having to like clunkily, you know, exchange files back and forth. Um, so it's a very smooth thing. Additionally, one of the things that a lot of service businesses use QuickBooks Online for is it has built-in invoicing functionality, and I use it for this. So, you know, let's say that you are my client, right? Like I'm your lawyer, you're my client, and it's time to send you my your bill for the month right from within QuickBooks, which is maintaining all my accounting data anyway. I can just really quickly hit a button to create an invoice. QuickBooks will automatically email that invoice to you. Right on that electronic invoice that you get emailed is a button. You click the button, and by clicking the button, you you can pay that invoice immediately, which is great for service-based businesses or any business that's billing their customers on like an invoice-type basis, right? So when you click that button to pay that invoice in QuickBooks, there's a, there's, you have a few options as a, a merchant. If you allow that, you can accept ACH payments, which QuickBooks itself processes the ACH payment for you. Uh, those are, for lack of a better term, a good deal because no matter how large the transaction is, uh, QuickBooks only bills you 50 cents for that. So like if I could send you a $10,000 bill, you pay it by clicking the button through ACH. And ACH, for those who don't know, is a direct bank transfer is uh, ACH. It's similar to what in Europe would be called, I think they call it SEPA, S-E-P-A. I think it's something like that. But yeah, in the States here, it's called uh, ACH. So you click on that button, you pay via ACH, you pay $10,000, I get $9,999 and, you know, 50 cents. You can also choose to accept credit cards. Intuit processes those for you too. 
Uh, if you have Intuit process your credit cards, obviously they do char- they, they charge a fee, a percentage like a normal credit card processor, right? Um, and to Intuit's credit, and I don't want to sound like I'm cheerleading them because they, they have some somewhat, you know, some business practices that not everyone likes. But to their credit, Intuit got on the Bitcoin thing really early. For several years, they've had native Bitcoin payment integration. And their native Bitcoin payment integration, it's called Intuit Pay by Coin, uh, requires that you have an account either with BitPay or Coinbase Merchant. So basically, when you set, if you set that up and you want to allow your customers, when they click that button, to have the option to use Bitcoin, you have to basically give uh, QuickBooks an API key either from QuickBooks Merchant or from BitPay. That's that's like how it works. So you know because it was originally they were very early on this. That was the only option. Uh, I had been using that for a long time. You know when I would send clients, they could they would click the pay button. They would get uh, they would have the I don't take credit cards, but I take ACH or Bitcoin. So they could pay the ACH or they could pay the Bitcoin. If they did Bitcoin, obviously it worked through BitPay's interface. So when BTC Pay came out, I was like, well, wouldn't it be cool like if you're a service business like me or any business that's invoicing people right through QuickBooks, which is very common, that when they got emailed this invoice and they clicked the button and, you know, boom, they had the ability to pay via ACH or Bitcoin that the Bitcoin payments would be processed through BTC pay instead of BitPay for a whole host of reasons that I'm sure you've talked about on the show, why BTC pay is preferable to BitPay. Yeah. So I, so I started looking into it and kind of determined that it really wouldn't be that hard to do, right? Like it, it didn't seem like it would be that difficult of a thing to integrate. And also around this time, I, uh, you know, Justin Mullen, if you're familiar with him, I had started taking his Biddle Bootcamp class. I had met him back over the summer at uh, the Nakamoto Institute dinner out in Dallas. He seemed like a nice Oh, guy. really? Was he there? Yes, he was there. Yeah, yeah. I missed, I missed all that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of guys there. Yeah. We just, we met by chance because I was, uh, I was out, I was sitting outside with Pierre, just kind of like taking a break in the sun. And, uh, Justin came out and just got to meet him that way. He just happened to be outside. It was a chance meeting. So I kind of remembered him from that. And then I saw on Twitter that he had launched, uh, you know, Biddle Bootcamp. And it was, it seemed like a real cool idea. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to like, I'll check this out. I really need to sort of get back into programming and really understand more of the technical side of this. So I, uh, you know, I signed up for that and I still remembered a lot of the basics of programming from when I was doing it 20 years ago. You never forget the, you know, the broad strokes. So ironically in getting ready for Biddle Bootcamp, I had to learn Python because Python didn't exist or it existed, but was not commonly used in 1999. It was very new. So I kind of had to learn the basics, which for that class, which I luckily found really easy. If you have a background in another language, which I did, learning Python's like really easy. I, I think I picked up most of what I needed to know in like an hour, frankly, uh, from looking at it. And then I gained a lot of really good experience by going through Justin's lectures in the boot camp. And, you know, after what I got through a bunch of Justin's lectures and, 
I kind of started thinking about, well, what do I, now that I have a little more technical ability again, I've gotten more into it, you know, how do I want to contribute? So I thought about the whole BTC pay, BitPay thing that kind of popped back into my brain. So I did some research. I went on the Intuit developer site for QuickBooks and I found out that there was a community sponsored Python library for QuickBooks Online for manipulating the API. Uh, and there was a Python library for the, uh, for BTC pay as well. Uh, so that kind of really made it easy. All I really had to do was create a plugin for BTC pay that kind of did three things. Number one, it would listen to, uh, payment notifications from BTC pay. And then when it would receive one of those payment notifications, it, it would then turn around and sort of use that to sync data. Well, actually, I, let me take a step back. What it really needed to do was listen for clicks on a QuickBooks invoice, first of all, right? Then once it got data from a QuickBooks invoice, turn around, take that data, use it to through the API, create uh, a BTC pay invoice. And then once that BTC pay invoice was paid, the plugin would need to listen to the payment notification, grab it, and then use that to update QuickBooks, right? Post the payment in QuickBooks. So the user wouldn't have to manually record that payment that was made through BTC pay and QuickBooks. So I went and I, you know, I set up the plugin. I kind of put together a very clunky, version of it uh about about a week and a half ago it worked but it was just sort of i guess the best way to put it was clunky and i tweeted about it and after i tweeted about it um you know nicholas dorier who's super nice and super generous with his time like reached out to me on twitter and said hey like this is pretty cool here's all the things you need to do to make this better and like if you make it better We'll like, we'll integrate it right into BTC pay so that you can access it right from our, you know, web interface. And it'll also sort of automatically update, you know, as you release new versions, uh, through the BTC pay update process. So when he reached out to me, I was really excited and I basically took all of his suggestions. I took about a week and spent a bunch of time just adding a lot of new features, making it much easier to use and just like less clunky for lack of a better term. Then I dockerized it since that was necessary since, uh, you know, BTC pay runs through Docker and, uh, yeah, with, you know, he was nice enough to, like I said, provide his time and help and we got it sort of integrated in. And, you know, as of right now, you basically, if you have BTC pay running on, let's just use an example on a Luna node, there's just a simple, uh, command line. Uh, there's simple command. You need to just enter on the command line that will activate it. And then from, then that's it. I mean, from then on out, once it's activated, it's just sort of integrated into your BTC pay and you're good to go. Yeah. Uh, Nicola's kind of a machine when it comes to coding and I don't think he ever sleeps. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny since he's not here in the States, like, uh, he, I would always like wake up to his feedback, right? Because right. It, would be, it would be, it would be, 
I'd be sleeping and then I'd get, I'd uh, have all his feedback and vice versa. Like I would send him stuff and I'm sure he was sleeping and he'd get back to me, you know, when he woke up. So, well, very cool, man. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how much this takes off. And I think this opens up, um, for a lot of people who are already using QuickBooks to then, I think there's a lot of people probably out there who would go, yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to take Bitcoin, but I don't know how to do this. I mean, I guess if that's already in QuickBooks, they may have already been using yeah, that, that, BitPay or, or something like that. But this just is really nice because it offers that option to not have to use BitPay or Coinbase. And um, I think I think that's a good thing for most people. Right. And that was sort of the idea. So like I tried to look at it like this, you know, in terms of increasing it, QuickBooks is maybe not something that like Bitcoiners use in large numbers, but it's right. like I can't emphasize enough how immensely popular it is. So even if only a small number of people that are using it for invoicing are, let's say, let's say there's only uh, there's only a small percentage of the people that are using it for invoicing or even bothering to use the BitPay Coinbase plugin that that, that Intuit provides. Well, that's still going to be in gross terms, a pretty substantial number of people, right? And even getting some of them to switch over to, you know, BTC pay would be pretty cool. It also provides, you know, some people um, will just find it appealing because if you're taking the payments through BitPay, uh, through BTC pay, you're cutting out BitPay's fees. So even people that are only looking at it from an entirely, um, Selfish isn't the right word, but you get what I mean. Just from a financial perspective, they don't have to worry about, you know, uh, BitPay's fees or holds, or we've seen BitPay shut down people's accounts and, you know, do all kinds. And Coinbase as well. Right. And Coinbase as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Coinbase is is no better uh, than BitPay, you know, in, in that regard. So... The reason I did it was for that, you know, it just seemed like there was at least a decent pool of people here that that might be interested in this if they heard about it, something that can increase adoption because again, QuickBooks is so popular and I thought it was a good place to start because QuickBooks is something that I know how to use, right? I mean, it's just sort of my personal background is for work. It's something that I need to use. It's probably it's probably something that I'm more familiar with than most Bitcoiners. So I thought it would be a, a good thing for me to tackle. Yeah. Well, I love this, that, that both of these kind of big areas that we've talked about today started out as pain points for you that you solved and then were able to turn into uh, something to help everybody else out with. Um, I've, I'm kind of in the process or sort of have already launched, but very soft launch uh, Bitcoin merit badge, which is kind of like morale patches and just kind of these goofy little trinket things with uh bitcoin themed stuff but uh this was kind of timely for me to see all this stuff from you because i've just realized like i need to figure out how to use quickbooks to do all, you know all this inventory accounting stuff so yeah that, I, exactly and the, the, the that brings up like i think like two really good points you make there number one you know, uh, as I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, if you're going to be selling your stuff through, um, you know, through like WooCommerce or something, uh, BitPay, a BTC pay has a really great integration for that already. Right. And I personally have nothing to do with it, but I've heard it's, it's uh, fantastic for guys like you that are selling, you know, tangible goods. Um, and then secondly, 
one of the things that's really cool about being in like a bear market is you can experiment with stuff like this. And obviously you never want to put out a bad product, but it gives you license to do a little more experimentation because things aren't as mission critical right now. Right. You, you follow what I'm saying by that? Like it's, you know, because the, let's say volume of Bitcoin transactions is probably a little slower right now. It's a good time to like really experiment around trying new things so that when we're not in a bear market anymore, there's going to be all these great products and services and cool stuff going on. Uh, you know, a great example of that, far more important than anything I've ever worked on is like lightning, right? Like this is like the best possible time for them to, for everyone to be developing, uh, lightning applications because right now in this bear market, we don't have as much fee pressure. So if all this stuff gets straightened out and becomes, you know, really, really both easy to use and reliable now, that means when, you know, on-chain fee market pressures really start driving everything up again, you know, lightning will be there ready to rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. Um, not to just keep harping on Coinbase, um, just because, I don't know, I think if, I, I disagree with a lot of with some of the things they do, but I also don't like to just sit here and talk about things that aren't positive. I, I rather focus on positive things, but you know, that was kind of one of the things that they ran into last year was that they had not uh, put a whole lot of effort into scaling and things like that. And they kind of banked on the, the 2X thing, I think. And then when everything started getting crazy, they, they couldn't even catch up to, you know, their own business volume needs, much less work on scaling at that time. Right. Yeah. I mean, they famously uh, weren't even batching. So, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if you if you build it in the slow times, then it's ready for for when the when the traffic comes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, man. Well, cool. Well, uh, anything else that uh, you want to add to any of that? No, I just, uh, you know, I, I thank you for having me on the show. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you are a QuickBooks user, check out the plugin. Yeah. And and, uh, and, if you're, and more, you know, more importantly, I'll, I'll show my own stuff too. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're out there and you've got an IRA or a 401k that you're looking to roll over, you know, if you get in touch with me, we can set up a, you know, self-directed setup for you. You'll hold the keys. You'll be able to hold your Bitcoin in a tax advantaged way. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So best way to get in touch with me, if you're interested in uh, setting up an IRA, would be my site, vandrew.com. That's V as in Victor, A and as in Nancy, D as in David, rew.com. If you go there, there's some cool resources that explain further how the IRA setup works. And if you want to move forward, there's a button on that page that you click and to schedule an initial phone call with me to get started. So the whole process, we make it really easy for you. Um, and if you want to check out the QuickBooks plugin, on the other hand, uh, btcqbo.com. Very cool. And then you are on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Vandrew, A-T-T-Y-C-P-A is my Twitter handle. Yeah, you can check me out there as well. Cool. And I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes um, in case people can't remember those. So um, very cool. Jeff, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you.
Okay, guys, that's going to do it for our show today. Be sure to follow Jeff and check out his website, vandrew.com, as well as his integration with BTC Pay. Uh, I've got links to all that in the show notes. I thought this was really timely given that we're about to start a new year and there's always financial and tax implications involved there. So, um, the other thing is, if you're wondering why we were talking about how uh, the, the the problems involved with BitPay as a payment processor. Um, I've included a link in the show notes to uh, the interview I did with Nicola Dorier. Uh, that's episode 13, so bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash 13, or the, the link is in the show notes, but where he talks about why he created BTC Pay Server in the first place and, um, and all the issues with BitPay and the things they've done that are not good for Bitcoin in general. Um, very self-serving and um, supporting uh, forks and things like that. As always, the best way you can you can help the show is um, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. Another way is go to bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash donate and I've got a link there to my Tallycoin page which is where I'm kind of moving everything. Um, I'm moving away from Patreon just with the way that they've been doing this deep platforming stuff. I haven't had any issues with them there. I just, I don't use it that much anyway and so I am moving everything over to Tallycoin. DJ Booth's been doing some really good work there. Um, he's got goals and perks and and basically everything that you would have on Kickstarter or Patreon, um, other than the, um, recurring payments, which is a Bitcoin protocol issue and not a tally coin issue itself. So I've got a couple of goals up there and I've got some perks. They're just kind of test things. But if you have ideas for other things that you would, uh, perks that you think I could offer that you uh, feel like would help influence you to support the show or whatever, or, or make it better, let me know. Uh, that would be much appreciated. Um, they also have integration for Paynims and um, Lightning, which I don't have activated right now, but but my Paynim is on there. So um, all that's kind of in one place. And then you can also go to bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash kidsbook if you want to use that link, uh, referral link to purchase uh, the Tuttle Twins books. Um, those are great books. And um, I also mentioned uh, earlier in the interview, bitcoinmeritbadge.com. That's uh, my fun little site. I've got a couple of patches up there, just kind of Velcro patches. You can show off your love for Bitcoin or your accomplishments or whatever. So I've got more patches coming soon that are not up there yet. So uh, be listening for me to be shilling that more often <laughs> when I have more products to ship. So as always, you can find me on Twitter at BottomShelfBTC. And uh, if you have questions or ideas or whatever, my DMs are always open. And um, yeah, next week, 10th anniversary of the Genesis block. Very cool on the 3rd. So um, if you are able to go to New York, I highly recommend checking out an event that uh, Tales from the Crypt putting on. Uh, Super jealous of, of those guys that can go to that because... I have to work my regular job, so I'm not going to be able to go. But I will be releasing a, uh, a 10th anniversary episode with uh, Clark Moody where we look back on the past and future of Bitcoin. So check that out then. All right, from Bottom Shelf Bitcoin, I'm Josh Humphrey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>